We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is it is Tuesday now, uh, July 26th. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher of Irish Breakdown, joined by Ryan Roberts, our director of recruiting. But today, Ryan, we're not talking recruiting. Even though there's a lot going on with Notre Dame right now, we are not talking recruiting today. We are going to talk about Notre Dame football. Uh, we're going to dive into the Notre Dame team because camp is a little over a week away from starting. Uh, it is a it is that time of year, and recruiting has kept up a lot of our attention. But it is time to start focusing in on some Notre Dame football talk. And our topic for today, Ryan, is about the sophomore class, and we're going to focus today on the offense. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the defense. Before we begin, however, I do want to ask people again who have not done so. I just put a link to our new channel that we started at Irish Breakdown. We're trying to get up to 1,000 subscribers, and then we're going to start populating here very soon with content. But it is called CFB Nation. It is the new child of Irish Breakdown and Driscoll Publishing. And we are going to start having some shows and some hosts that are going to talk about college football in general. And they're going to talk about recruiting in general uh, from a national standpoint. Clearly, Notre Dame will be a topic, but it will be a topic within the bigger framework of what they do. Irish Breakdown is going to remain a Notre Dame channel. So we decided instead of putting some of that stuff on our channel, we're going to start a new one. So we need to get to a thousand subscribers before we start putting in new content. So I put the link in the in the chat room so you can see that it's basically CFB Nation College Football News and Analysis. Type that in on at YouTube. You can find it if you can't use the link or you're listening later and the link doesn't pop up for you. So we would really appreciate your help. We're already over. We launched it. I think Friday. Ryan was a Friday. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're already up to seven thousand seven hundred subscribers. We need to get to a thousand to uh, start the monetization process. Once the hour, the hours will be easy. Once we start putting shows out, we'll get to the four thousand hours easy. It's getting up to those one thousand subscribers, and we'll have some stuff that'll go up there this week. And we're hoping to have some deals signed here this week to get some talent on to do some of those shows. So that is what we're doing, but that is not the topic of today. So let's move on to today's topic. Yeah. So the topic of today, as Brian kind of briefly talked about is we're going to talk about the sophomore class specifically Mm -hmm. 
talking a lot about the offensive side of the football today because we are of the belief, I know, Brian, we've talked about this a bunch in the past, this sophomore class has a chance to be special on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball, but I really think this sophomore class, specifically for the 2022 season, this can really unlock the overall potential, in my opinion, of how good this offense can be. So we want to go every level of this offensive system. We're going to work from offensive line, quarterback, wide receiver, running back, and tight end. And we're going to talk about some of the sophomore um, sophomore players on the Notre Dame roster that we think are just overly important for how yeah. good this team can yeah. be moving into 2022. I, look, there's two, there, there's two like kind of lines we're like we're drawing to connect the dots, right? And, and number one is we believe this team cannot take the next step as a program without the offense taking a step forward, right? It's got to get better. That's number one. Number two, if you look at the depth chart, the key positions, you're starting quarterback, left tackle, right tackle, arguably your best returning receiver. And much of your running back depth chart is made up of sophomores, right? So those are some pretty important positions. So you look at it, it's hard for me to to think about how Notre Dame can possibly be the program that we think they need to be or can be without the sophomore class really stepping up and becoming a really key part of that. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. It's just this, this is putting a lot on a young class. And I think this, to me, is arguably the biggest question mark about this football team it's not the talent it's not coaching it's not the schedule it's not any of those things it's you're asking a lot of young players to step up and shine now you could easily point to well look at Clemson in 2018 and I've done that before when you talk about they had a true freshman quarterback a true sophomore receiver their two best receivers their two most productive receivers were a a true freshman and a true sophomore and Justin Ross T Higgins you had young players all over the de- the defense is part of the rotation. But the difference is, is, again, I'm not asking Tyler. We shouldn't ask Tyler Buckner to be Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, so you could look at it that way. But it, the, the reality is also when you look at the makeup of this team, the talent is there. They're relying on more sophomores than they are freshmen, like the 2018 Clemson team. And when you look at the schedule, I think it it, it, it it's a favorable schedule for Notre Dame to, to be successful. But again, they just can't do it without this sophomore class. And, and, and so without them emerging and stepping up and not just being good players, but the other part of it too, Ryan is some of these guys can't just be good role players. They have to step into to, to, to situations where they need to be dudes. They need to be productive. They need to be difference makers. They need to be guys that in big games, step up and make plays. And that's the part to me, that is more the question mark. I think the production will be there, Ryan. I think we'll see sure. great play from all these guys at times. The question for me is, will it be against Ohio State? Will it be against BYU? Will it be against Clemson? Will it be against USC? Will it be in the postseason? I think those for me are the bigger question marks because of the youth. And, it, and it's a great question. I think one reason that we have such high expectations, though, for this team is that, I mean, Brian, it seemed like an unordinary thing. For one, For people that like to look, you know, just kind of look at other screens as far as what we're talking about, go to the 2021 recruiting class because that's the class that we're going to be breaking down a little bit. But for me, Brian, it was the fact that we saw guys like Joe Waltz in this past season come in and have such a 
big role into this team and have a guy like Tyler Buckner in spurts, seeing what he can do and the running backs and Lorenzo styles. Some of the guys that we're talking about today, we don't usually see those guys make instant impacts as freshmen. Right. And I think that's what gives us such high expectations. At least it felt like there was like, usually you'll have like one or two guys that play a bit as a freshman and make an impact, but it just seemed like there were so many more guys that had opportunity last year, which I think gets you excited for what they can can make the jump from freshman to sophomore because that is one of the bigger jumps that a player is going to make is from freshman to sophomore year. You know, a, a complete year under the coaching staff, under the strength and conditioning staff, all those great things. And I think that you're right. Can Tyler Buckner, and I know we'll get to him more in depth, can he be the guy in 2022 that we think he can be overall or close to it, closer than maybe a usual jump would be? You're depending on guys at quarterback, offensive tackles, those are the most important positions of the offense. I mean, because you could argue running back, you can cycle in some guys and kind sure. of you know, find some mismatches, do all type of thing. But you can't hide quarterback and offensive tackles. You can't do the, it. The other thing too, Ryan, is is running back and receiver are positions that that, in my opinion, are not ones that necessarily require great experience to be effective. The difference, and and we'll dive we'll dive into the specifics of the players here in a minute, but but. The positions you talked about, quarterback, offensive tackle, especially in a pro-style offense, I think that's the thing to add to it as well. That's context that is needed. It's not, you know, like with all due respect to Clemson, that's a a little bit more of a simplified offense, right, with what Trevor Lawrence is running. And, again, that's fine. I mean, that that's good coaching, right, and sure. it's worked for them, and they had talent to pull it off. This is a little bit more of a complex offense, so it requires a lot more technical mastery of the system schematic mastery checks and audibles things like that and so we could argue all day about whether it should be that much that's a different conversation but it is Mm -hmm. it is that and and i think coach reese showed a little bit last year that he he knows how to simplify things for whatever reason and he had to simplify things last year because of the fact that the offensive line wasn't very good and so he's able to simplify things. So I think he showed he can simplify it to a degree, but you can only simplify a pro-style offense so much against Ohio State, Clemson, USC, Alabama, Georgia, right, those type of teams. And that's kind of where we're getting to. So these are positions that that experience is incredibly beneficial. And I think that's the, the, the contrast to when we talk about the sophomore classes, you know, running backs, receiver, tight end to a degree are positions where I think a younger player can make a smoother transition if he's got the physical talent. Mm-hmm. It's not the same case when it comes to offensive line and it comes to quarterback. So and, let's and dive I, into – go ahead, Ryan. You oh, no, I was just going to say, and to follow up on that, the reason that we're so excited about this class, on top of the fact that they're playing paramount positions, we got eyes on a lot of these players early on. It, you know, as freshmen, we saw a lot of these guys – they're also extremely talented. I mean, like, let's not undersell that for a second, right? We're talking about Blake Fisher, Joe Walt, Tyler Buckner, this group so much because this is a really gifted group. Like, there right. could be – I mean, if Blake Fisher takes the steps that we think that he can, there's no reason he can't be a first-round pick. Same thing right. with Joe Walt. Tyler Buckner, there's no reason he can't be the next great quarterback at Notre Dame. That talent is there for Notre Dame. Their talent has never been an issue, and it's certainly not an issue in the sophomore class, which gets me even more excited because it's just – I mean, there is so many dudes that we're going to talk about today, and all of them are just extremely gifted and have a chance to have a big role on this team today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You gotta give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. So obviously there's one position that's going to get the most discussion, but it's not the one we're going to start off today. Quarterback's going to be a big part of this conversation, and it's the topic that everybody talks about. And honestly, if we did a quarterback show every day and I wrote an article about Tyler Buckner every day, we'd get tons of clicks and downloads and views. Sure. But the group that I think is, is most important is the offensive line. And there's three players from the sophomore class that I think are going to be vital to success this year, and, and two especially that we expect to be starters. And that is obviously your bookend tackles are both true sophomores. Joe Ald, a left tackle, Blake Fisher, right tackle. I also am very curious to see what kind of emergence we see this season from Rocco Spindler. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't add him to the conversation because injuries happen, right? And you've got a veteran left guard who is coming off of an offseason torn pectoral muscle. You've got a, a six-year senior right, tack, right guard who's a guy that's battled injuries for three years now. 
your depth is going to be needed at some point in time, or at least you, you hope so. And, and does Rocco tap into his full potential and become that guy? That's another question mark to have. But we're going to focus mainly on the two tackles, Ryan. And the reality is, is if this team is going to be an elite team, the offense has to play like one of the five to six best offensive lines in the country. It's quite a tall task to ask that of a unit that was not in the top 30 offensive lines last year. Uh, and that's being kind, I think. I think that's being relatively kind. Agree. Now, we've got some changes. Harry Heastan has arrived. That instills a great deal of confidence. We've seen him t- – I mean, look, the reality is his 2015 and 2017 offensive lines are, were, in my opinion, the, t- the best offensive lines in college football in those seasons. And in both years, he relied on young players, right? You had Quentin Nelson starting at left guard in, as a redshirt freshman. Uh, as a, as, which means he had way less experience than Joe Walton Blake Fisher did uh, when he started at left guard in 2015. When Quentin Nelson got hurt against USC, uh, they replaced him with Alex Bars, a redshirt freshman who stepped into that spot. Mike McGlinchey was a redshirt sophomore that season, but he had one career start under his belt coming into that campaign. So you you had a young group. And then you look at 2017 and your starting right tackle was a redshirt freshman who then would rotate every other series with a true freshman. Now, this is re- this is a, a unit that's going to rely on two true sophomores at tackles. And so those are very, very important roles uh, for them to have. And the reality is, is this this unit has to play. Not They not, not have to play well. They have to play very well. You can't do that without the tackles, Ryan. And you're you're talking about young players that are going to be asked to go out in some big moments and play like veterans. And that, that is the talent is obvious, but the question's going to be, can they get the consistency needed at that position? There's going to be games where Blake Fisher is going to look like a stud. There's going to be games and Joe Walt looks like a future 10 plus year veteran NFL left tackle. The question and what will ultimately determine the success of this unit is can they get it to be consistently good where the times they look great are, are, are balanced with just good football. What, what they have to avoid Ryan is when it looks great. And then when they struggle because of their youth, the latter part is the thing that Notre Dame has to avoid. If this offensive line is going to reach its potential, which is built around the tackles. Yeah. I mean, I think that that comes to the volatility, right. Of having a younger player. I mean, consistency is something that people strive for. And that's usually where that experience level comes into effect. And it's very hard. Cause I, I talked about this a little bit in the intro, but it's very hard to hide a tackle, right? Like you can hide a guard to a degree. Cause you got other, other size guys around them. They're playing a little bit of decreased space, but offensive tackles, man, they're on an Island a lot. Right. And we're going to see, them tested against some really good pass rushes this year and some good defenses, you know, sporadically throughout the schedule. You're talking about the BYUs and if Ohio State takes it to the next step and Clemson's of the world, like there's going to be some really good defensive linemen that are going to test guys like Joel and Blake Fisher. And it's funny, Brian, I feel like aside from Jared Patterson, those are the two guys that everyone's just kind of counting on, right? Like those are the, oh, they're going to be good. Yeah, like we don't need to worry about them, right? Like they're going to be studs. And they very well could be because, I mean, I mean, why are we excited again? You don't often get guys that are, you don't often get a six, seven, 300 plus pound, former tight end turned left tackle. That makes a freshman all American who wasn't even the top offensive tackle in the class. Everyone was expecting Blake Fisher to be that freshman all American. 
But then, of course, the injuries happen. We only get a game and a half of them. But I would say in that game, and I mean, the first game, I thought, you know, it was kind of, you know, easing into it a little bit. But I thought he looked pretty good, good against Oklahoma State, you know, especially yeah. in pass pro. I thought he did a really good job in that game. You saw the spurts of how good he can be. And if these guys are what we think they are, and they are what we think they are close to their ceilings in 2022, because they're not going to hit their ceilings in 2022. I think that's very unfair to expect. But if they are studs in 2022 and consistent studs, then it's just going to make everything around it so much easier, right? Because you still have Jared Patterson. You still have Josh Lug that has played good football. You just need – I mean, Jared Patterson should still be one of the best offensive mm-hmm. linemen in college football. But if they are studs, you just need everybody else to be good. So anything right. other than plus at that – in the other, right. every other spot is just an added bonus. So, I mean, they are really – they are the key to unlocking this overall potential and – Everyone asks, like, how long until they get to the Harry Heastand level? As quick as those guys turn into studs is as quick right. as they get to the Harry Heastand level, in my opinion, because they have that type of talent. The the interesting thing, too, you talked about Blake Fisher last year. Blake played a game and a half of football. Somebody mm-hmm. asked, is he technically a retro freshman? Yeah, he is. Uh, he's technically a retro freshman. The, the interesting thing is he didn't exactly have a easy task in his game and a half. <laughs> I mean, that was the interesting thing about Blake's – his first half was a bunch of snaps against Jermaine Johnson, who was what the top, top 25, 26, he was like 26 yeah. overall pick or something like that overall yep. in the NFL draft this past year uh, by the jets uh, first round draft pick transfer from Georgia. And, and I thought Blake held his own in that matchup. It was his first college football game. And then he comes back and it's like, what's your welcome back to college football moment. You're playing the defense that has the, the had the most sacks in college football last year. No, oh, by the way, we're going to throw it 68 times. You know, <laughs> That's the other thing. And like, you know, I mean, and I thought that I thought that him and Joe handled themselves well uh, against an athletic and and really well coached offensive line. And you could see what makes them special. Ryan is there were times when Blake in that Oklahoma State game, you're like, man, that stance has got to get better. Boy, that kick slide's got to get better. Sure. And and the technical aspects, like, yeah, that's going on teaching tape, but it's like that. Here's what you can't do type type of teaching tape. And it was true for Joe as well, but. You know, Joe came in with a dad that played an offensive line in the NFL, a little bit more advanced than Blake from a technical standpoint. But both of them had those issues. But it didn't really hurt them. And here's why. Because they're so big. And <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, there were times when Blake, I'm like, oh, he's about to get beat. I'm sitting there watching the game. I'm like, Blake's about to get beat. And then he would extend his arms like, no, nope, he's good. He's good. Right? Because the 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 getting beat part was more about his his first step was not good. And when you're playing and – I, and, I, and the reason I say to get beat is – I had watched a ton of Oklahoma State film, and when they beat you, when Brock Wright or was it uh, the Oliver kid? What's his first name? Colin. Colin Alan Oliver and yeah. Brock Martin. Yeah. Right, and so once he would, with Oliver was more of a speed guy. He was more of an athletic guy. When he would get you beat on the first step, you were done. You know, and yes. that's why he was so good. And then Brock Martin was was a savvy, nuanced, you know, route run, or uh, pass rusher with all these different moves, and he'd get in your pads and all this and. There's times when Blake would kind of come off a little high, and you're like, man, or Joe would come off high, and all of a sudden they'd get their hands out, and it looked like, you know, like the big brother teasing the little brother. You put his hand on his forehead, and the little brother's like swinging, but he can't get to you. That's what it was like watching them play at times, where the technique wasn't there, but once they extend their hands, it's like they were they were able to get it because they're both pretty good athletes, and I think that's the part of Blake's game that people don't appreciate enough. Somebody, a, a, a good, a, some one of our customers says, "Hey, are, are you worried about Blake Fisher's athleticism due to the fact that you know, he's a little bit knock-kneed? And I'm like, "No, I understand the question because Blake didn't play a whole lot, and you have certain opinions of a guy that's six six three thirty, right? 
but I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not. I think that's one of the aspects of his game that's very underrated is he's a really good athlete for that size. And Joe is Joe is really technically sound, which can mask, again, his athleticism. This is a kid that played tight end his whole career. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the interesting thing is this is a really athletic group. And with all due respect to, to, to Mike McGlinchey, I think both of them are, are better athletes laterally than what Mike McGlinchey was. I would say they're more comparable to Ronnie Stanley's. Uh, they're more comparable to guys like that as as movers than what Mike McGlin- – because Mike McGlinchey was a vertical force. He was a dynamo coming off the ball. But he could get a little bit lumbering laterally, you know, because Mike's a really good athlete, but we're talking mm-hmm. about a specific type of athleticism. It's, it's the those, lateral it's speed. Long legs, changing direction, right. redirecting. He's a very tall – yeah. right, very tall player. It's not a natural thing where I think Joe and Blake are also really tall, but they're built differently. Mike was long-legged. Mike was almost built more like a power forward than he was an offensive tackle, meaning he was a lot more – he was a lot more leg than he is torso. And I think that's kind of where you kind of get a little bit of that. These guys, in my opinion, are very good movers. And I think that's an underrated aspect of this group is they're very long and they're movers, which means they don't necessarily have to have that grown man strength yet. And that's because that's the other big concern is the experience. But then the grown man strength, the Bennett with Bayless three, four five year strength that we're referring to, they can get away without having that because they're so long and they're so big. I saw a picture somebody sent me the other day of the offensive line posed together. Joe Walt looks like he's grown two inches. I mean, I'm not saying he has. I'm just looking at the picture. I'm like, maybe it's the camera angle, but he's like by far the tallest guy there. And he's he just 19. looks like he's it's really possible, out. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So it's going to be a really big line. And and I think that's something where the, the combination of technical improvement, length, size and athleticism is art because isn't that what you look for ryan like okay what does he not have he doesn't have experience okay what can we utilize or what will he be able to utilize to overcome something you cannot fix you can't fix experience with a drill right you can only fix experience with here's novel concept experience which means he's got to play so what are the traits they have to do that and i think those are the traits you look at and say that they've got those things which can overcome the one concern the two concerns experience and just the time in the weight room yeah i mean i i call it overcompensating traits that's what i always kind of like refer to right it's like if a guy because this is like the arm length comparison i know we don't have arm length compare concerns for either one of these players but it's like if a guy has length concerns they have to be a really good athlete because you have to kind of overcompensate that lack of ability to work in space right like that's kind of where the overcompensating trait works for a blake fisher and a joe Waltz, the fact that they are six, both six six plus with long arms and both good athletes, that masks a lot of maybe technical deficiencies mm-hmm. that they may have right now. And how do you get better at that, Brian? To your point, Harry Heastan drawing them a million times, but then also you need the live bullets, man. Like right. you need to go against Jermaine Johnson, right? You need to go right. against Miles Murphy. You need to go against these guys because that's how you take that te- technical refinement. You take it from a understanding but to a practical approach, you need to be able to work it. That like, That's how you develop mm-hmm. those good habits on film. So right. you're absolutely correct. And I mean, it's because I think a lot of people out there, Brian, are probably looking at Blake Fisher, like guys, he's six, six, three thirty, and really right. powerful. He doesn't need to get stronger, but the yeah. key is, is that he is going to get stronger right. because he might not need to add a single more pound of weight, which is probably correct. true, 
Correct. But he is going to get a whole lot stronger. If you think right. that he is physically dominant with displacement power now, wait until he has a couple years with Bayless. Well, that's when he goes from a really yeah. good player to a dominant football player. To an elite one. Right. Like Quentin Nelson is a perfect example. Quentin was huge. He was 330-plus yep. as a redshirt freshman. He was strong naturally. I mean, look at some of the blocks he had that year. I mean, the, we could point out some of you know, the, the one that, that people like to point out most from that year is the, the time he came off against Ohio State on a touchdown run, and he goes up and just destroys Raekwon McMillan and drives him, you know, just, just destroys him. And But he was stronger in 2017 than he was in 2015. Right, and so that's kind of what we're getting to. But it's also about the, the the endurance aspect, the conditioning aspect of it. Right, as you get older, you get more better in those areas. So those things you look for. But I predict, Ryan, you know, just I have a great deal of confidence. I would have been comfortable with this duo without a coaching change, honestly, because we saw it. We saw it in this in the game. Now I would have had some issues in the run game because the technical problems that the whole line had. But I would have been comf- confident in the past game with this duo, even without a coaching change, okay. where I think we're going to see a jump from both of them. And this is where the strength is especially important. It's not as much so as pointing out about the bowl game. The, the lack of strength didn't hurt them in the bowl game because they're so long and big and athletic. It is more important in the run game. If they're going to go move against the better ends that they're going to face this year, the better D linemen they're going to face this year, that's where the strength is going to come into play. But more than anything, they need a big jump in, in technical improvement. And, and to me, that is where we need to see this team get better. This duo get better is the technical improvement. And that's where the Harry Heastan influence is going to have its biggest impact, Ryan, is learning how to play the game better because they are naturally long, which helps them in from the standpoint of, of – uh, Looking at it from a standpoint of of pass pro, but in the run game, that length can be a detriment if you don't play with good technique. Yes. And that's where that's where the Harry Heastan impact more than anything is going to have the biggest impact for this duo. And also, I, I like in the intro, Brian, that you talked about it's not just about being consistent against you know the UNLVs of the world, right? It's about being against Ohio State, against Clemson. Why is that technical improvement so important? Because those guys can match you with the length and athleticism that you have, right? Mm-hmm. All due respect to Brock Martin and Colin Oliver, both really good college players. They're not the longest guys in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Colin Oliver's got some juice to him, but they're not long guys. So like to your point, Joe Walt eventually could just kind of go, all right, it's over here, <laughs> sir. Like I got a little bit of, I got a little more to me, you know, a little length to me. But when they're going to get some Miles Murphy, for instance, from Clemson, even Zach mm-hmm. Harrison, even though he's not developed, those guys still incredibly to, long, incredibly almost yeah. 36 inch arms on Zach yeah. Harrison. So those guys can start to outreach or at least match your reach, right? That's where the technical side comes in. Cause even as Zach Harrison, that is not phys- as developed as he should be right now. If he gets to your outside shoulder and he gains extension on you, he can beat you. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you are a player Jack Sawyer's that way, right. Jack Sawyer, there's a lot of players. I mean, even Tyler Beatty that plays at BYU is one of those mm-hmm. players. Like they're six, five 270 with length. Any of those guys, if they outreach you, they can beat you. Right. And I think that that's the t- where the technical refinement, when a guy does outreach you, Hey, I need to reposition my hands. I need to get back inside positioning. I need to slide a certain direction and redirect in space. That's why it's important because the better teams on the schedule are going to be able to negate some of your length and athleticism advantages. They're going to be able to. And that's why the technical refinement is very important for these two because the talent is all there. But if they're also talented and technically sound, 
then you feel good about pretty much right. every matchup on the schedule. So let's transition to, I would say, the let's say 1A, 1B, right, when it comes to importance, and that's quarterback. And, and, and we spent a lot of time on Tyler Buckner. We won't spend a ton of time on him again now. But the reality is, is, is there a – people ask, is there a quarterback battle at Notre Dame? Yes, there is a quarterback battle. Tyler Buckner still has a lot to prove. We discussed that the other day with, with when we had a really good question about that. But at the same time, Ryan, we, we will also admit, as, as much as I love Drew Pine as a kid and a leader and all those type of things, this team's potential is – this team's ceiling is going to be determined by how good Tyler Buckner is this season. Yeah. And when Tyler Buckner's on, this team is going to be very hard to stop, and I don't care who they're playing. When Tyler Buckner's off, this offense is going to be easier to stop. And the Virginia Tech game is a perfect example because in the first half he was on and Virginia Tech had zero answers, zero. I mean, they couldn't stop him. Second half, they were able to do some things that caused him to get out of his game. He wasn't as, he wasn't making the quick decisions. He wasn't as accurate. And all He was kind of starting to scramble more, and it slowed him down. And that, to me, is that game is going to epitomize his sophomore season. The question again is going to be which version do we see most often? Right. That's going to be the question. Do we see the good version of Tyler Buckner, which to me makes this offense elite, potentially elite, or do we see an inconsistent sophomore who's really being a full-time quarterback for the first time since 2019? Right. You know, I mean, it's lost his senior year we've talked about in 2020 because of COVID. Last year he was he was practiced and used as more of a rotational niche player now it's he's the guy what kind of jump does he make because he's another sophomore in this class whose success really ties into the overall success of the team because again sophomores equal success on offense success on offense equals success as a team and and Tyler Buckner is a big is going to be a big big part of that and I think that Tyler Buckner could be a really successful college player if he didn't have the athletic upside that he has as a player like if he was strictly just a passer to his degree so i think that he's i think people really undersell the fact that like man go look at like where he was in high school coming out the kid could throw the football and he could throw the football just about as good as anyone in the country and that's i think something that's being undersold a little bit there was a lot of huge flashes in the passing game that i'm really excited about but brian this is where like the challenge of working against a dual threat quarterback i know you've talked about this so much is even when he's not maybe pinpoint on a day mm -hmm. he's dealing, the fact that he also has that other element of being able to use his running, use his legs, be able to take some, take an extra defender out of the box, even when he's not keeping the football, those things now, I mean, every single play you have to deal with Tyler Buckner, even if he's right. straight handed it off on a zone play, you're right. still like, oh, I got to be there just in case there's a pull, right? Like this is where when he, when it's going well, it's unstoppable. Like it right. really is. If he's throwing the football well, because he the running element's always going to be there. Tyler Buckner's always going to be that type of athlete. But if he takes the step that we think he can as a passer this year, is yeah. consistent in that regard, then it's. I mean, you have to you have to count for it on every single play, and that is where. Uh, I mean, that's where defense coordinators start to have headaches. Is when you have to account for a player on every single snap. Well, we've talked about 2017 being the comparison for this. And I've talked about how USC came into that 2017 game against Notre Dame saying we're going to do everything we can to stop them from running the ball. And Chip Long did a couple things that were really good in that game. Number one is he got Kevin Stefferson on going on jets early, right, uh, if, if you remember that. Uh, 
he, I think it was like um, they ran like a reverse early. He didn't, you know, I always confuse his jets and reverses with the ones from Braden Lindsay two years later. His didn't go for big plays, but they were enough to kind of slow them down. Then you had Brandon pulling the ball. He had a couple early runs, but the big thing was on the first, the, so the first drive, Notre Dame punts, uh, Tavon, USC gets the ball. Tavon Coney rips it out of Sam Darnold's hand. Notre Dame gets the ball back. And I believe that drive ended with Brandon banging a post route over the top to Equinemia St. Brown for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Next drive, Notre Dame gets the ball, and Brandon throws another vertical pass for a touchdown. It was a back shoulder to Kevin uh, Stefferson. Once Brandon showed the ability to hit the ball, hit throws down the field, USC had zero answers. Zero. Brandon went mm-hmm. nine of nineteen for 120 yards that game. But 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 because he's the dual threat guy, they were already worried about him running. Now they had to protect over the top of their head for deep balls. It made him uh, it made him undefensible. Then you look at another game later on down the down the, the line. You, you look at the NC State game. He goes 10 of 19 for 104 yards. Not overly effective, right? But he had a backside seam throw early in that game over the top to Durham Smythe that, that really started to take some of the pressure off because NC State was like, okay, we've got to protect it. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you open up running lanes. And then the final example is, you know, the game that I viewed to be brand, the best career, best game of Brandon's career was the Wake Forest game. He plays. He played three quarters of football. He racked up 280 passing yards in that game. He racked up 110 rushing yards that game. He only played three quarters of football. Brandon went 15 of 30 in that game. Completed 50% of his passes. Now, he should have been 16 of 30 because Chase had a bomb hit him right in the face, right, that he dropped. Yep. But, okay, 16 of 30 doesn't exactly change the narrative. And, and the point is, is that, that Brandon didn't have to be – he didn't have to look like Brady Quinn or Jimmy Clausen or or Jack Cohn for that offense to be unguardable, un, undefensible for a, a good month and a half of the season. He just had to be solid. Now, I would say that that Tyler Buckner is a more dynamic passer than Brandon is because he has he's always shown a better feel and better accuracy, and he hasn't necessarily had his mind warped into a negative thing the way that Brandon was his first two years working with Mike Sanford. So again, it, it's it, it's expect. What does the expectation of this of this team have to be? And do you need Brand, you know, Tyler Buckner to be a thirty-five, four thousand yard passer? You know, I don't think you do. He just needs to be good, a good passer to where you have to defend it, you have to respect it, and if you don't respect it, he's going to beat you with it. And that that, as you said, that's the difficulty with a dual threat quarterback because when Brandon wasn't on his game r- r- throwing. He could still do things as a runner to hurt you. Whereas sure. if Jack Cohn wasn't on his game as a passer, and I would make the same case about Ian Book. If Ian Book wasn't on his game as a passer, Ian Book was not a designed runner. He was a guy that could scramble, right? Yep. That's not as that's not as dynamic to me if you're just a scrambler. It's what makes guys like Tyler so effective. And as we've seen over the years, it's guys that can not only make plays with their legs in the run game, pass game, but also guys that can make plays in the run game. And that's a big difference between like Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen in the NFL. They're both mm-hmm. very athletic players, but Pat Mahomes' athleticism is, is held strictly to the pass game where okay. Josh Allen's run impact in the run game is, is, is not just with scrambles, but it's all not run game, but his legs, he uses his legs, not just in the, in the pass game, but he can also use it in the run game. Sure. And, and so it's really, it's a, it's a great advantage to have a guy like that, especially in college, in my opinion. And so, but, you know, again, we go back to is Tyler going to be that guy consistently or is it just going to be a guy that flashes? And, yeah. and I think that's going to be the difference between a 10 and two team 
and a team that's you know sitting down in the last you know the day, Sunday after the the conference championships and saying okay what seed are we going to be in the playoff today you know I think that's the difference is his play and that's again why these two are tied because the better the line is the better the run game is the better you take some of that burden off of Tyler Buckner with then if he responds by being an impact player in what you ask him to do this offense becomes very very hard to defend quarterback's the most important position in sports I mean we don't really have to harp on that too much to know that he this team is going to be as good as Tyler Buckner can lead them to, mm-hmm. right? Like that is the end all be all to it. I'll say this, Brian, because we, I know obviously you have the, the deep coaching background. I know we kind of take this from a coaching angle sometime as a former defensive coach, having a guy like a Tyler Buckner, if he was going against me, he would be the biggest headache in the world because at the end of the day, football is a numbers game, right? So I'm thinking right now, uh, you know, we're going to sneak somebody down in the box. We're going to play a little two, uh, play a little single high, get that extra safety down because the RPO game is going to be predicated on like, hey, let's get that extra defender out of the box. So I'm going to bring an extra guy down into the box. But then as soon as Tyler, like they hit a two verts on one side and, and you're saying playing single high, then like, oh man, now I got to bring two high because I know that they now have the threat to push the ball down the field. It's such a, football is such a chess match, but it's also defensively, it's much more of a reactive type of thing, whereas offense can kind of dictate a little bit more than a defense can dictate sometimes. So when you have a player like a Tyler Buckner who can hurt you in so many different ways, if he's on his game, it's almost impossible to stop every facet of an offense. Well, it is impossible to stop every facet of an offense. So I could not agree with you more, though. It's the fact that when you take everything to account, the fact that Tyler Buckner is a dynamic player, a dynamic athlete potentially, well, dynamic athlete, dynamic player, potentially. And he's also the quarterback of your team. That's where you're looking at him and saying that is, he's going to be the the key to unlocking how good this team overall can be. Not even just on the offensive side of football. So what's the best friend to a quarterback? Great offensive line. We talked about that. What's no the doubt. second best friend to a quarterback? Pass, Pass catchers. catchers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I would argue that of, of all the positions we've talked so far, sophomore success is more important to this position than the others. And here's what I I say. Yes. The offensive line cannot reach its full potential if, if, if the sophomore class doesn't step up. Right. But you do have some veteran guys. You have Tosh Baker, you have Josh Lug can move out the tackle. You have, um, you have Michael Carmody's played tackle, although I wouldn't necessarily say that's an idea. I've always felt Jarrett Patterson could be a tackle. Uh, you've got you've got some some guys there that that are veteran players who could who could step in if you needed it. Same thing at running back. If the sophomores don't play, okay, maybe the freshman does. Chris Tyree, it would it would hurt, right? We'll get to that next. It would hurt a lot. Quarterback, you've got Drew Pine. At, at receiver, there's no chance. Just from a number standpoint, there's almost no chance. And you can make a case as true at running back as well, but there's almost no chance for this group to be successful if the sophomore class doesn't step up and play because they make up such a big chunk of the rotation right now. I mean, they're they're 50% of the healthy rotation if you even include Avery Davis as being healthy. Yeah. And, and so it's a very important part to just having a receiver depth chart. But beyond that, just throwing out numbers, Ryan, it's can this group come out and, and can it produce – impact plays and I think that's that's the big question mark when you look at this receiving core and I think it, it, it the conversation has to start with a guy that I think a lot of us are expecting to come out and be a breakout player and that is Lorenzo Styles. 
Yeah, I mean, he's the player that I envision that if he is as good as we think he is and he hits near his ceiling, that he's the guy that can line up at all three different positions and he can affect the game in so many different ways. That gives you the flexibility to, you know, if I want to put Braden Lindsay in a different spot, if I want to put, you know, if I want to put, if I want to put Lorenzo Styles as the W into the into the boundary and let him work out of there, he's the guy that I think unlocks every part of your passing offense because he can provide so many different combinations of wide receivers coming in. Michael Mayer, you know, working into the more of a wide receiver role with a Lorenzo Styles. Like there's so many things that you can do with a Lorenzo Styles. I mean, I, he could be that RPO guy. He could work outside. He can be a route runner. The thing I love about Lorenzo, because I know we always get a question of who has more upside, Deion Colsey, Lorenzo Styles, like that's, you know, that kind of like that sophomore conversation. And I'm okay with people saying Deion Colsey, but I always come back to the fact that Lorenzo Styles can win in every single way. You want him to take the top off? He can do it. You want him to win after the catch? He can do it. You want him to win as a route runner? He can do it. So if he is as good as I think he can be, and he takes the step, Brian, and he becomes the best receiver then I think he could be one of the best receivers in college football. Like I think that he has that type of upside. I really do because he's a player. This year? That... Are you talking about like this year? Are you talking about yes. like this? I okay. Think this year. I think this year. I do. I think that he has everything that you look, need. Look, let me ask you this, yes. Ryan, because and I'm, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm I want to set you up to the answer you're about to make because the sure. thing I, I want to remind people is 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 Ryan's the difference between I think our channel and, and other channels that cover teams, not Notre Dame teams, but other teams is they kind of only know their team. Sure, And we try to not be that way. And Ryan, especially because he does run an NFL draft site, has watched a lot of the receivers. And we've had conversations about Mario Williams and Jordan Addison and Xavier Worthy and guys like that. So you've seen a lot of these guys. So let me let me lead you into that to that what you're about to say with more of a of, of a, a directive question. What is it about Lorenzo's game compared to some of those other guys that makes you think that he can go from, you know, being that kind of player? Because, I mean, we, we've seen jumps like that. Right. I mean. Lorenzo Styles caught 24 passes last year. That's mm-hmm. four times more than what Will Fuller had and Golden Tate had when they were true freshmen. They only taught, caught six. Well, both of them broke out the next year and had 1,000-yard seasons, right? Uh, Equinemius St. Brown went from one catch as a freshman in 2015 to over 50 catches, and I think it was like 961 yards as a sophomore, but he didn't play in a bowl game because sure. they were they were terrible that year. So it's not exactly unheard of to see guys make jumps like that. So uh, that part we can kind of negate. But I want to know from you specifically what you see from Lorenzo that makes you think he has the tools to become that type of player in, in regards to how he would compare to a Jordan Addison, right, a Xavier Worthy, some of the guys that we look at and view as. Because Xavier Worthy's a sophomore as well, but he kind of broke out last year out of need. Because sure. there was no Kevin Austin and Michael Mayer to take touches. He had to be the guy for Texas last year. What yeah. is it that you see that makes you think he can be that player? It is the all-around skill set that he has as a receiver. Like, I look at some guys, and you mentioned, like, Mario Williams, who is a similar player to, like, a Marvin Mims. That was his former teammate at Oklahoma. Great vertical, deep threat type of players. But are they going to threaten every single part of the game? I think Lorenzo Styles can threaten every part. I really do believe – that if it's a smaller corner, Lorenzo Styles can work the back shoulder and play some big football. I think that if it's a longer corner that doesn't change direction as well, then, hey, he can change direction. He can get in and out of his breaks. He can beat you as a route runner. If you're running the RPO game, he can win after the catch and do all that type of stuff too. For me, what I think he can be is I think he can be an all-around wide receiver. 
where he might not be the most dynamic deep threat in college football, but he can be good everywhere across. And for me, I always value the guys that can do more as receivers, mm-hmm. guys that can affect the game at multi-levels, the guys that can do win, create more separation in different ways. I don't think there's any reason that if Lorenzo Styles hits his upside that he's a thousand-yard receiver and he's viewed as one of the best receivers in college football. Am I predicting it? Yes, I am, actually. Own it. I love it. Own it. I was going to give myself a second to backtrack there, but no, I'm, I'm calling it right now. Lorenzo Styles has been my breakout. I mean, as much as a breakout as you got, can for a guy that's expected to be that, I think he's going to be a really good football player. And I think when he if he hits a ceiling, he's a guy that just affects the game in so many different ways. So that's why I think that he can be in the conversation with the best receivers in college football this year. Mario Williams is an interesting comparison. They were both freshmen mm-hmm. last year. Mario Williams had better numbers total. He had 35 catches for 380 yards, four touchdowns. Lorenzo had 24 catches for 344 yards and one touchdown. The difference is, is Mario was part of the, the Oklahoma rotation from day one. I mean, so so Lorenzo didn't really step into the rotation, really, until the USC game. Yep. And, and, and we could argue why that was, but he didn't really become a factor. The first six games of the year, he had two catches for 16 yards. He had a two-yard catch against Toledo, and he had a one-yard – he had one catch coming off the bench when Joe Wilkins got hurt against Cincinnati. And then they did a ton of 12 personnel against uh, Virginia Tech. But he jumps into the rotation, and in, in the last seven games, he had three three games with over 50 yards receiving. Mario Williams in the entire season, and he played in 11 of the – he played in 12 games last year. So Lorenzo technically played in more games, but Lorenzo wasn't a part of the rotation. He just kind of would come in and do what they did with receiver backups for most of Brian Kelly's tenure when they were young and just go out there and get snaps and block and don't actually get the football. But he had he had one game of over 50 yards the entire year. And his second highest game was 49 yards against Western Carolina. So, you know, but you're seeing all these things, you know, Mario Williams on the, you know, the, the Blitnikoff watch list and, and all this stuff. Why? He had 35 catches for 380 yards in 12 games, right? Lorenzo Styles had basically, you know, 22 catches for 328 yards, if I'm doing the math correctly, in seven games, essentially, right? So it, it comes down to there's a perception, right? Like if Mario Williams would have transferred to Notre Dame this offseason, Notre Dame fans would be like, oh my gosh, we got Mario Williams. I know. But I would argue that Lorenzo Styles is the better football player. And we saw that on the field last year. And so that's where I that's if you so the reason I'm saying this is to follow up on Ryan said because this that's part of the reason that we're not as concerned about the receiving core this year as a lot of people are other than the only concern we have is just bodies. Yes. It's can they can they can they stay healthy? And then the second concern we have is if something happens to Lorenzo, then you get concerned. That's why the next two kids in the sophomore class are important. And that is Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas. We're going to talk about Deion first because he's an intriguing player because he's already started to become a little bit of a whipping boy with Notre Dame fans for some reason. And, and I'm not quite sure why, uh, you know, maybe it's because of the way that's reported, you know, things that I've said that maybe people are taking to mean something that I don't mean Uh, people questioning his work ethic and his, does he love the game? And it's like, that's not what we're saying. What Mm -hmm. we're saying is he played, he was so much better than the high school competition he played against that when you think it's, it's like, 
okay, I think I'm giving it my all. I think I'm doing this. I think I've done what I need to do to be great because I'm so much better than who I play against. And it's right. not to get to that next level. And then you realize, wow, you're he's pretty raw. Dion is also a year younger than most kids in his grade. And I think it's way too early for people to be writing him off. And I've heard some people say, well, he was really bad in the spring game. He, he missed a catch. He missed a catch that he should have caught mm-hmm. early in the game. But the reality is he'd have caught two touchdown passes if Drew Pine just doesn't whiff on two throws. One, he doesn't throw to him, and he should have. would have been an easy touchdown. The other, he's open in between three guys, and he throws it at his feet. So I, I saw some encouraging things from Dion, and I saw things that say dion has got to get better, right? Sure. But he's a guy with a lot of talent. And because of his unique size, 6'5", 207, he can, he's not fast, but he's a vertical threat, if, if that makes sense. He's really athletic. I mean, you watch him on the basketball court and some of the dunks he has on the basketball court, you're like, this kid's got some, this kid's got some explosiveness to him, right? He's a kid that, to me, forget the I, – I, I did my rant on his perception. Let's now talk about him as a player. Yep. They don't need him to be the Will Fuller sophomore breakout, the Equinemy St. Brown sophomore breakout. Do you know what they need him to be? They need him to be the sophomore version of Chase Claypool. If, if you remember when Chase in 2016, uh, or excuse me, 2017 as a sophomore, you know, should have played earlier in the year, didn't. But when he finally got into the rotation, he had some moments. He, he was the starting slot. I'm not saying that he's going to be that because that position's not open uh, for Notre Dame. But, you know, Chase had some games. You know, he had four catches for 56 yards against Michigan State. You remember that really amazing like uh, back shoulder catch he had uh, in that game? He comes out and he has nine catches for 180 yards against Wake Forest. You know, he has he had some quality moments that year and, and had 29 catches for 402 yards and a couple touchdowns. Didn't play against Georgia. He should have. Didn't play in the bowl game if you remember he got hurt. So that was really in like 11 games. Uh, if you look at that kind of – production if Deion Colsey can just have that kind of season 25 to 35 catches you know 400 plus yards Chase only averaged 13.9 yards per catch and you know two three four touchdowns if he can just do that it adds so much to this offense Ryan because he's the one receiver that's got the combination of size and girth and length just I mean his catch radius is is enormous mm-hmm. that he all of a sudden gives Tyler Buckner a weapon he doesn't have. And, and, and I, that includes Tobias Merriweather because Tobias is a different kind of receiver than Dion. So he is a bit of a unicorn on this roster. And that only adds to why it's important that Dion really step up and become a, a, again, doesn't need to be a breakout. Just have that sort of Chase Claypool progressing as a sophomore type of be a be a key part of the rotation give me 25 35 catches if he can be that he adds a ton of value to this offense Ryan well he's a guy where you want to talk about a quarterback's best friends I mean if he showed that he is a consistent pass catcher that size and that frame I mean you know I'm in a tr- tough spot Tyler right like let's let's get the ball out there and let's make him make a contested catch for us like that's what he is as a football player for me and I think that's what he can be Brian, he's the most volatile player, which I is why I think that Notre Dame fans do have that perception, right? Like, because let's be honest, if Dion hits his ceiling or close to it this year, he could be that sophomore breakout. Sure. Like, he's that talented. He's capable or, of it. Yes. Sure. Yes. Or he could be the fourth leading receiver, a part of your receiving crew, right? Like there's a lot of volatility to how good he can be. But he, I think, 
right around near Lorenzo Styles could be that guy where he could transform your outlook of this receiver core to the highest degree because, I mean, he can give you an element that you just don't really have. I mean, you're, you're excited about Tobias Merriweather, but he's another guy that's going to be a true freshman, right? Like, you don't know exactly how ready he's going to be to play. We expect him to contribute. But, I mean, if if Deion Colsey gives you that size, that springiness, that catch radius, that is a different element that you have on your offense right now because Lorenzo Styles is kind of that 6-1 separator. Avery Davis is more that true slot type. You don't really have that guy. Brain Lindsay is kind of a, a you know a, a, a guy that creates explosive plays, but he's kind of a smaller compact frame. You don't have the 6-5 guy, right? And you've seen Notre Dame has traditionally had that guy in the boundary. They've usually had that type of player. So if Deion Colsey is able to unlock that, that could be the difference between being a a good to really good pass receiving core and being a really uh, being an elite one potentially. Right. I'm not sure that they have a chance to be a top five ten this year, but they can get darn if close you only if Deion Colsey receivers. takes that step. Yes, if you, you only, only correct, receivers. correct. Yes. Not yes. including Michael Mayer because that's a right. completely different conversation. Hundred percent. Right. But if Deion Colsey takes that step and is that guy that his talent says he can be, then he, they're in the conversation at that point right. because he has all the talent in the world. It's just about beginning to tap into it. And we have obviously high expectations for him, but there is volatility with him, which makes it an interesting conversation and one where he could be the surprise star of the year, or he could just be a guy that needs another year. Like there's just so much volatility to it, but he has so much upside. Right. And and players develop differently. Uh, I mean, Miles Boykin, well, put it to you like this. I, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna have to look at Miles' stats, but I'm pretty sure that Deion Colsey had about as much production as a true freshman than Miles had his first two years combined at Notre Dame. Uh, no, I'm wrong. Miles, as a freshman, played zero snaps, and as a sophomore, redshirt freshman, had six catches for 81 yards, most of it in mop-up duty. So Dion is about a game away from catch per, from passing Miles Boykin's production after two years. Right, guys develop at different ages. Chase Claypool is a true freshman, had like five catches for like 81 yards or something like that. Dion had four for 67. You know, so so it's like you know, I, I sometimes it's like a guy is so talented that almost if he doesn't show it right away, that people get frustrated. Guys develop at different stages. My Michael Floyd was so much better than Golden Tate when they were both freshmen. Michael as a freshman in eight, 2008. Matter of fact, Michael Floyd was better as a freshman than Golden Tate was as a sophomore. Because if you go back and look at the 2008 season, up until the point that Michael Floyd got hurt, and the same thing was true in 09, when Michael Floyd would go into a season healthy, he was always the number one receiver. Golden Tate was number two. Golden didn't really start blowing up until Michael got hurt. If you go look at their production in the first three games before Michael got hurt, Michael was their best, most productive receiver. Same was true in 2008 when Michael was a freshman and Golden was a sophomore. And then Michael got hurt and got, was banged up. And Golden emerged and had the soft the, the breakout season. That's not because Michael Floyd is necessarily better than Golden Tate. It's Michael Floyd was more advanced than Golden Tate. Sure. Golden Tate was a running back for a lot of his high school career. And that's kind of my point about Dion is if he doesn't emerge this year as the guy, it doesn't mean he's a bust or an underachiever or anything like that. It's everybody develops differently. But I do think he has to show something this year. I, I don't think I'm going to be confident predicting him to break out as a junior if he doesn't make a similar Chase Claypool sophomore type of leap. What is your thoughts on that aspect of it, Ryan? 
you have you have to see you have to see progress. You absolutely do. And I know we've talked a lot about Tobias Merriweather getting in here, right? And like, hey, you're not the only tall guy anymore in the bo- in the room, right? Like, let's go a little mm-hmm. bit, right? A guy that's a little younger than you that's going to be able to challenge you and is as talented as you are. So I agree. I think that there needs to be some progress. Like this can't be a lost season for Deion Colsey. He has to show that he has taken a step forward because we think he has better coaching this year, right? We He has a guy like a Tobias Mayweather coming up behind him. He has to be a guy that is able to take those challenges and to tangibly turn that into upside on the field. So I agree with you, Brian. And the other thing about him is I called him a safety blanket earlier. Why is that? Because a guy that big, that long, is always open. He's always open, man. You put it on the back shoulder, he's always open, right? And that brings such a different elements of your passing attack but i agree with you 100 this can't just be the same as we saw from Dion last year where like you saw it a couple times but you weren't couldn't depend on it right because right? he was just kind of getting eased into the game you need to see substantial growth exponential growth is what i what i like to see this year from game one to game 12 or 13 whatever it ends up being i want to see exponential growth by the end of the season i want to see a guy where now, if he wasn't a breakout sophomore player, he ended the year where it was kind of like Lorenzo Styles type of thing, right? right? Lorenzo didn't play a ton, got eased into it, started making plays, and by the end of the year, he became that player where now you're like, oh, 2022, that's the breakout guy. Right. I want Deion Colsey to be that guy this time yeah. next spring where you're like, he showed a lot last year, but now he's a dude this next right. year. Let's talk about the other sophomore receiver in this class. And to me, he's the biggest enigma of the group, and that's Jaden Thomas. The reason I say that is we have just seen so little of Jaden the last two years. He didn't earn a single snap last year. And I thought he was going to play in the bowl game because I kept hearing from people, oh, you, Jaden Thomas is the best receiver they have right now in, in, in practice and all this. And then they don't play him, which I didn't understand. But that's why I just sometimes tend to take what I hear from practice with a grain of salt, you know, in regard to bowl practice, I should say. Yeah. And then he comes out in the spring and, and, you know, we're hearing all this stuff about how good he looks in the winter. And and then we get to the practices that are open and just didn't see a whole lot. Right. Just didn't show a whole lot Had a couple drops. Just didn't look really dynamic. Then we get to the spring game and he looks like a completely different guy. And the reason he's hard to evaluate is because I liked Jaden when Notre Dame got, you know, when Notre Dame landed him and, and you, cause off of his junior film, he was a really good player. He could do things after the catch. He was a guy that showed some ability to stretch the field. He was a center fielder in baseball. He's a guy who could really move. He wasn't a burner. But he's really athletic. Yeah. Then his senior year, he plays almost the whole year with turf toe, which if you've never had turf toe, it's really painful. And it, it's really hard to – you can't be explosive with turf toe. It's just whether or not you can play with the pain or not. And that's why it's really hard for skill players. It's like Chris Tyree. I mean, you just plan on the foot – it's like hitting the gas in your car and just nothing happens, right? It just, it's just not going to happen. You know, you, 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 your car goes from, you know, zero to 60 in three seconds. Well, then you get turf toe and it goes from zero to 60 in like nine seconds, right? It's just like to, to create an, an analogy of, of you just have no juice. And that's what Jaden was playing with his whole senior year. Now, number one, kudos to playing as much as he did with that injury. Uh, and then number two, it's just, but it makes it hard to, to okay, well, what is Jaden? I, I don't, we didn't see him. He actually regressed as a senior simply because of the injury, right? Not that he regressed like he wasn't as good or, you know, wasn't as talented. He got stiff in the hips. He, you know, wasn't trying hard. It's just, he regressed from a product, productiveness standpoint because of an injury that was outside of his control. And then we come out, we don't see him as a freshman. So like, he's sort of that, 
you know, and that's kind of the thing I think with Dion is there's all this excitement about Jaden Thomas and people saying, well, he's going to be this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, based on what, what, what have you seen from Jaden Thomas to make you say that? Right. Well, you've seen Dion and now he's kind of the guy you can pick apart. So mm-hmm. take away that aspect of it, which I think is a, a little silly because then it comes across like I'm tearing down Jaden. It's not it at all. Sure. But here's what I will say. If Jaden Thomas can go into the season and be the guy that he was in the spring game, that's going to answer so many concerns, ease so many concerns about this receiving core. Because the thing I like about him, Ryan, he's a very unique player on this roster. He's probably got the second best size of all the returners, right? Six, one and a half, 215 pounds. He's a thick kid. He's got some height to him. Good catch radius, not elite, but it's good. It's better than some of the smaller guys. But he's surprisingly nimble for his size. And we saw that in the spring game, which part of it was a good play by him. And the other part of it was a terrible play by Ramon Henderson. But that juke that he had of Ramon to to kind of shake him up. And that's stuff we've heard about him doing in practice that we've never seen him do in practice. So he showed something to where it's like, okay, with his unique body type, the reality is, Ryan, I think he can play all three positions in this offense, in this, in this offense. Yep. Getting a guy like that that brings some size, some af- some after the catch, but and there's nothing he's great at, in my opinion. But he's just kind of got a really nice all-around game. He's got a natural feel for football. That when you put all that together and his versatility, he's like a he's like an, a, a, a utility infielder, and I mean that in the most complimentary fashion possible. Not like he's a guy that you bring in to pinch hit in the, in the ninth inning or you know bring in as a defensive sub. What I mean is that it's like more of like a Pete Rose type, you know, where, where Pete Rose, like where was Pete Rose? Should Pete Rose be in the hall of fame? I believe he should be. The question then would be, okay, but where third base, first base, left field, you know, like he played all over. He could, and that's t- kind of Jaden Thomas. If you need him in the boundary, you can play in the boundary. If you need him in the slot, you can play the slot. If you need him into the field, you can play the field. That's so important to be able to have a guy that can be a backup, all those different positions. And I think that's more than anything, what I'm hoping we see from Jaden. And then beyond that, if he can just be an effective rotation player at all those positions anything beyond that would be just a, a bonus in my opinion i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm stuck a little bit on and this is awesome i mm-hmm. thank you for this so much but i have jane thomas is the pete rose of, of <laughs> Wide receivers. i love it man I hey you know it. what i'm a reds fan and hey I, aren't you a phillies fan i am a phillies fan, okay yeah, well he so. won a world series hey, with man. the phillies i got nothing against charlie hustle man player, <laughs> right? got nothing against them but and to your point, though, Brian, one way that you can eliminate some uh, some depth issues is to have guys that can do multiple things, right? right? To have a guy that can Go. play all over the place, right? That kind of alleviates a little bit of that stress because now you don't have to have a three deep with guys that just are Ws, just are slots, just are to the field. Like you can have a guy mm-hmm. now. That if you're down a player in the slot, let's say, Jaden, go play the slot. If someone's, you know, a little nicked up in the W, Jaden, I need you to go out there and give me some reps at W, right? Like, that's what I think Jaden Thomas can provide you. I think that he is – I don't want to call him depth because I think he can play, right? Right. Like, I saw him in the spring game, and I'm like – Depth is important. To us, depth is not an insult at a position like this. People need to understand that. I I don't want people to to hear it as I'm saying that he's just a depth piece and he's not going to contribute at all, right? Like, he's insurance. He's not insurance. I think he can play football. And, like, to your your point, he's a guy that can do a little bit after the catch. He has some sleekness to him as a route runner. He kind of takes you a little bit by surprise. I think that he – Honestly, like, again, it was a bad tackle attempt by Ramon on the reverse or whatever it was, right, the end of rounds. But 
he has a little bit of this like weird kind of style that, yeah. that Jaden brings to the game where you're just he kind of takes you off guard a little bit. Yeah. He's got a little craftiness to him, I guess, right. if you want to phrase it like that. So I think that he can help with the depth because I think that he can play multiple spots to your degree. And I think he can contribute. I think one thing that I've seen from him is he is one of the more shorthanded pass catchers that I saw at least live where I didn't see any issues with fighting the football or, you know, second double catches or anything like that. He was a pretty consistent pass catcher. So if he can give you consistency and he can give you alignment versatility, then that's a huge bonus for this team that does not have great depth. They just don't. And we're not saying he he may start. He may win a starting job. That's not what we're referring to. I honestly feel like he's better not starting. Because if you start him, it somewhat narrows him into a spot a little bit. Where I kind of want to see, sometimes, you know, you want to got to be a master of something, right? Sometimes, however, the need of your team is, I don't really care as much in 2022 about Jaden becoming a master of the X, Z, or Y, or W. I care more about him being a jack of all trades. You you know what I mean? And and normally that's not the case. But in this instance, because of the lack of depth, because we don't know about Joe Wilkins' health, we don't know about Avery Davis' health. You know, like, if, if, if Avery gets hurt again or can't play early, you're almost then forcing Lorenzo Styles to be almost a full-time slot. That's not an in 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 to me a situation that I really I'm I'm super comfortable with. Okay. But if you have a guy like Jaden Thomas who can then also step in and give you some slot reps, then you can maybe use Lorenzo in other positions. So that's that's kind of where I look at it, where he brings such great value to what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think he's a guy that can contribute, but also give you insurance at multiple spots, right? Like, that's very rare. I mean, like, usually a guy is a contributor, and he's just a contributor one spot, or he's a guy that's just going to fill in in the back and be a backup W or backup whatever. But Jane Thomas, I think he could do a little bit of both for you. So I actually think the floor on Jane's pretty high, right? Like, I, again, like, I don't know if the ceiling's as high as, like, a Deion Colsey is, for instance. I mean, I know it's not, in my opinion, anyway. But the floor is something that's really interesting and something that you need. And I think that Jaden can provide that to you. He can give you the consistency and the feeling of comforts, knowing mm-hmm. that he's on the roster and he can do a variety of things for you as well. So we just talked about three guys with three very distinct skill sets. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds people why I, I feel it's so important to recruit diversity at wide receiver. Yep. You need guys can do different things because your team is going to have different roles. And you know, it not it, it, and it's not once did we say okay, well this guy's size is a hindrance or whatever. It's nice to have some tall guys. They don't all have to be tall. You don't need a slot that's 5'10 and shifty. You need somebody that's shifty. I don't care if he's 6'1 215 and shifty or 5'10 165 and shifty. You need different skill sets. And that's what I love about the sophomore class, Ryan, because all three of these kids are very different from each other. And that makes it, like you said, when you have numbers issues, having guys that bring different skills to the table is so important, especially if one of them can be a guy that can play multiple spots. And I would argue that two of them, I think Jaden can play all three of them with the most naturalness when you include the boundary. Yeah. I think Jaden can play the boundary and the field really clean. He can play the slot in certain areas, but I wouldn't call him a 
you know, like necessarily where I'd say that's his best spot. Sure. But Lorenzo, I think, is similar. I think Lorenzo's two best spots are the two field positions, slot and outside. I think he's a more natural outside guy. May have to play some more slot this year with Braden Lindsay also there. I think Lorenzo can also play some boundary. It's just not of, – of the three I would put him at, it'd probably be third. But if 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 you need to get your best three on the field and it's Avery Davis and Braden Lindsay and Lorenzo Styles, I'm f- totally fine putting Lorenzo on the boundary. And I think he'll and it doesn't change my prediction for him. Okay. But it's about finding them in their best spot. But when you have a guy like Dion, a guy like Jaden Thomas that can do so much, it makes it much easier to take your dude in Lorenzo and say, we're gonna put Lorenzo where he's best, because then we can put Jaden in that other spot. And I, and I think it adds to the value, but this trio to me, you've got a really tall, big guy. You've got sort of that middle of the road size, six, one and a half, two fifteen. Then you've got the speedy guy who also has some length to him. Mm -hmm. It just makes for a really unique group. And the fact is, is they're going to need this group to produce. And and you said Lorenzo may be a thousand yard guy. Maybe he is, maybe isn't. You definitely need over a thousand yards from this group, from this, this class. You need at least, I mean, I would argue maybe, 1200 yeah. i would say close to that is kind of what you need from a production standpoint from the sophomore class and hopefully it's not all in one guy you know what i mean now if lorenzo breaks out with a thousand then you're saying well i hope it's at least 1500 as as a sure. you know kind of thing yep. but that's kind of where, where i come from i really feel like uh, this is this is a situation where this group is going to be so important to it you ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Let's transition to another position where it's very, very... um important let's say that's mm-hmm. running back and i think you can make a case like i was making the case because this is what i thought through early in the show that i think receiver is most important just from a number standpoint but as i'm making that argument i'm then in my own head having a counter argument with myself which may be a problem i may need to talk to somebody about uh where i'm like you know what no i think running back it may be the case right because of the fact of Jadarian price being hurt because now the sophomore class is literally half of your healthy depth chart in, in when you, te- well, will be, I, I still don't know when Logan Diggs is going to come back. I, it's, I've heard some people say it could be September. Some heard some people say, you know, fall camp. Some people say September. I've heard people say October, November. I don't know. Notre Dame hasn't yeah. told us. He's going to have to come back at some point in time. And, and to me, when he does come back, you've got Audric estimate who his role has just gone way up from an yes. important standpoint. Right. Mm-hmm. And Logan Diggs, when he comes back, is going to be very important to what this football team is trying to be. 
the sophomore class at running back, I mean, the running game in general is, is so vitally important. And you're going to have three really important pieces from a ball carrying standpoint in the sophomore class. When you talk about Tyler Buckner at quarterback, but then you talk about Audrick Estime and, and um, Logan Diggs. This team cannot be the running team it wants to be without the sophomore class. Bookend tackles, quarterback, and your two running backs. These running backs are really interesting, Brian, because especially Estime, he brings a style that is just not on the roster otherwise, right? right? Like you have Chris Tyree, who's that dynamic one-cut speed back. You're going to have guys like Jabron Payne that are coming in as true freshmen that are sort of similar to Chris Tyree-ish, not quite as fast. Mm -hmm. Logan Diggs is more of your slippery type of runner, you know, like a zone-type base player. And But then you have Aldrick Estime, who is kind of that battering ram that has good feet, right? Like you just don't have that 220-plus pounds running back in the in the arsenal other than an Aldrick Estime. So he brings something. And I know we talk about things fitting well, right, positionally. If he is able to be a player for this team this year and be a contributor, a high contributor, because we know he's going to contribute in some fashion, but if he's able mm-hmm. to be a guy in this on this team – he brings something that you just don't have otherwise. And if he is able to take those reins, because it stinks that Logan Diggs may not start the season healthy. It, I mean, I hate injuries, and I right. hate especially players that work so hard to get an opportunity, and then they something you know unfortunate happens like that. But SMA Household does, because of it, have an opportunity, right. a bigger well, role. And here's the thing too, Ryan. He may have seized that anyway. Sure, and that's the thing that 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 about Audric is. I feel like a lot of people are thinking, well, he's now thrust into this role. Like, what what did he tweet after the bowl game last year? I'm winning the Doak Walker Award next year. I mean, it, first of it. all, it's like you always take you're like, hey, you don't want to put that bullseye on your chest. Well, Audric said, here it is. I'm gonna paint it on for you. You know what I mean? Uh, that's gonna be mine, and 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 he's gone out and worked for it. Uh, sure. He's a very unique player. I, I would say if you can get him and uh, you get him and Tyree both going, that is where you can have a really, really dynamic one-two punch. And then if you throw in Logan Diggs at some point in time, because the other thing I love is Audric is we've talked about him recently, so we won't dive too much into specifics about his game again. We'll talk about the impact he's going to have. He's he's like you said, he brings a different style because he can hammer you. But as we've also talked about, he's a guy that can also do a little bit of. You know, a little Shit. bit of you think I'm about you're bracing yourself to get run over and then he hits you with the dead leg and bounces outside or spins off of you and that kind of thing. And those are aspects where you you look at and say, boy, this kid, this kid can do something or, you know, you, you're waiting for him to juke you. And he says, this guy's on his heels. I'm putting my shoulder down and I'm running this guy over. Right. And and he brings that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go 2021 20, personnel and you put Chris Tyree in the slot. And and you run a jet motion, and you're like, okay, are they are they handing the ball off to Chris Tyree? Are they about to have this 230-pound monster coming right at me? Oh, the quarterback pulled. Like you got Tyree to your your slot to your left. You got Audric Estimate to your left in the backfield. You run Chris Tyree on a jet motion, and then you're faking the read zone. So pre-snap, you've had to deal with Tyree, Estimate, Buckner, all going in three different directions. That's a normal part of the offense. Right. And they're, they're, he's such a unique player that it's kind of like, boy, you, you better you better bring your lunch pail to, to handle a kid like that. And and I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do. But you know, he's going to have to stay healthy. And here's the big thing, too, about Audric. 
here's where the injury to Diggs, to me, puts the most pressure on him. It's not carrying the football. It's not mm-hmm. catching the football. He's going to have to step up and be a, a really effective pass pro guy. Now, you, the, the first thought was, well, he's 6'1", 230 pounds. It's not about size and strength. It's about, do you know who to block? <laughs> and are do you know, do you have the technical ne- need to do it? Now, look, the biggest part of being a good pass pro guy is when, willingness. Do you want to be? Yeah. It's want to. So, yes, I, I think he's going to want to. Then after that, it's, okay, you're a taller back. Can you? Are you able to sink your hips? Are you able to do this? Are you able to kind of step up and know that, hey, it's not just blocking this guy. I got to meet him in the hole to make sure that my quarterback's not getting – I'm not engaging that guy. Because what would happen last year, even sometimes with Kyron Williams, is he would step up and stand right in front of the quarterback and block a guy. Mm-hmm. And it looks like an effective block, but it really wasn't because now the quarterback's got this engagement happening right in front of his face. Right. Right? And so it's all of those things that that go into it. And – and I mean, every running back does that at times. Kyron didn't do it often as he got mm-hmm. older. You know, Chris Tyree has has will do it. Other backs would do it. It's about all of it, the technical part, knowing that I'm reading inside out on this blitz. I may get this guy, I may get that guy. What happens if they both come? Okay, I got to take the near. I mean, there's all types of different things that you have to understand. He's going to have to do that now. Sure. And honestly, that's where I was most curious to see his role because I had made the case in the spring that if he emerges as a pass pro guy, he could end up being the third down back, you know, just because you, you put him in there and like, cause you, you don't want to have your tight end in max pro you, right. You want to have him out where you put this 230 pound monster in the backfield. That's physical. If he can step up and be a great pass pro guy, gives you a lot you can do with your, with your third down. And here's the other thought. He, he checks out and swings out because nobody comes. And all of a sudden you've just got him a swing pass in space on third and five running downhill. Good luck. Good luck. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. those are the things I look that's, at and say, there's a lot he can bring to the table to this offense if he can be an all-around back. And that's the biggest concern I have, Ryan. And that's where the youth aspect of it comes into play in a pro-style offense. Mm-hmm. That's more the Tony Jones type of third down mm-hmm. back than the than the smaller type of right. shifty right. third down back. Yeah, I mean, you're not right, and, and, that, uh, and you're not wrong. And that other side of it is too, Brian, it's the trust factor, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of comes – I mean – Two of the better pass pro running backs that I can remember for Notre Dame are Kyron Williams that you mentioned already. I remember Darius Walker handled the pass blocking game really well and during like the Brady Quinn era there. So it's not about size necessarily. It's about the technical aspects and then the one two because there's a lot of bigger backs and even in the NFL that are not great pass blockers just because their technical prowess is not great. They just think that you can kind of bully guys. So I agree. And I, I think that Audric just brings something that's just completely different mm-hmm. to the roster. Like I've already said this, right? So I'm just kind of reiterating a point, but he's also a guy that down the, the latter stages of a game, if you have a lead, he can kind of wear you down, man. And he can right. wear you down and talk about goal. This is my biggest worry right now, Brian, honestly, I'll be completely transparent about this. If Chris Tyree is head and shoulders, your best running back. And he becomes, let's say he becomes the, the large volume getter. What are you going to do on on obvious on goal line situations? Is Tyler Buckner going to be a quarterback power guy on obvious goal line situations? Because I don't know if Chris Tyree is that guy, right? So, Audrey Estime might be that guy, the guy that it, needs a it, you know you need a tough two. It's kind of it's kind of interesting, Ryan, because yeah. it depends on where the ball is. Sure, because uh, look inside the two, if you have a good offensive line, sometimes I think there's value to having a guy like Chris Tyree. Because he can just kind of get low and just kind of get behind him. 
right? Yeah. Uh, in a lot of instances, that's not going to be as effective, especially against better defenses, right? Like, sure. But what I'll say is, I, I Dylan McCullough has. This is where hiring Dean McCullough helps you, mm-hmm. because. And I think Lance Taylor would have been able to do this as well. This isn't saying instead of Lance Taylor. It means once Lance left, hiring Dylan McCullough was a good hire because Lance brought some NFL aspects to the to the table. And I think Coach McCullough does as well. And, and what I mean by that is in the NFL, everything is so situational, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you've got your – you're this guy. You're the third down back. You're this. You're that. You're this other thing, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, in college, you don't – we're seeing them kind of come around to it to a degree slowly, but like it's been a thing in the NFL for 15 years. I mean, go back to, you know, Kevin Falk made a, like a 10 plus year career, just being a third down back. Darren Sproles has been that guy. Right. And, and so there is, there is, I think the, the opportunity for that in college. And that's where I kind of felt like Audric was going to make an impact no matter like before the, the Logan Diggs injury. And we'll get to Logan Diggs in a second. I kind of felt like, you know, there's a chance he's their third back behind Tyree and, and, and Logan Diggs. And so uh, you, you look at him and say, but man, I, I'm getting that third and one out in the field. I'm getting him in the game. Right. I mean, cause I, I feel like if he's doing what he needs to do, it's like, how, how do you not get positive yards? Now, if the offensive line is just terrible, I mean, if a guy's, if a good player's coming on a free run, right? You don't block Zach Harrison off the backside edge and he's coming on a free run. I don't care who how big your back is, he's going down behind the line of scrimmage, right? But in as long as your offensive line does his job, he, he's gonna get you at least two yards, right? So I definitely think that role is there, Ryan. And, and I would say if you get inside the 10, he's my back. I mean, that's just kind of how I feel about it. He's my back because you know, and that's it. We've seen that before, right? Like some guys are just, you know, kind of the, the get you get you their backs, and then you bring put someone else in, and, and that guy gets you in the end zone. And and I'm I'm okay with that. And well, Chris Tyree's going to get enough touchdowns from you know the forty <laughs> that you know you can have SMA play that role. The other part of it too, Ryan, is not just the effectiveness, but those are the scenarios where your back is taking the biggest pounding, third and sure. two, and those are the things where. Like somebody asked, uh, Matt, Matt, Mark Bosing asked, I'm afraid Tyree can't carry that load. Maybe keep him under 12 carries a game. I, I disagree. I think Chris Tyree can be a modern day every down back because you just don't see guys carrying the ball 20 plus times a game. You know, Kenneth Walker did it, Brees Hall did it, but there's a lot of examples of lead backs that didn't do that because you had a rotation. Mm-hmm. I've, I've made this point before. The, the first year that Georgia had their breakout under Kirby Smart, 2017. You know they had two great backs, and their biggest back, Nick Chubb, who's, a, 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 I mean, a, a monster. Yeah, he had twenty plus carries in one game in fifteen games. Right? I mean, it's just not something that you see necessarily as much as you used to. Other than teams are just running all the time. Kenneth Walker's, Brees Hall's, you just don't see it as much. I think Chris Tyree can give me fifteen carries a game and maybe four or five catches a games if you're smart with those. Now, I don't think I necessarily would have him carrying 20 to me. I'm caring more about the touches. And my thing with him is that's a 15 touch a game kid. In my opinion, Tyree needs to be a 15 touch a game guy, unless he stops himself from being a 15 touch guy. What does that mean? He goes 70. That's how he can take himself out of it. Right. That's what I mean by that. But the thing is, is okay. So we'll get him his touches, but how can we eliminate some of the wear and tear on? Okay. Don't put him in the game in third and one where it's, it's, you're going to be running in and people are jumping on your legs and twisting up and look, I don't care. The bottom of piles are still dangerous places to be. <laughs> okay. Cause cameras aren't there. 
you know, uh, guys laying on top of him, all that kind of stuff. Okay, take him out of those things where, where Audric Estime's body is better suited for that, and his game is better suited for that. So those are areas where you can protect Chris Tyree without protecting him from a sort of a pitch count, if that makes sense. So yeah. that's where I think that that when you talk about these roles, those are things that I think Coach McCullough has talked about wanting to do, you know, having guys that have different roles. He said something to Sean when we interviewed him at the press conference where it was like, there's like eight or nine different roles for running back. I'm like, well, okay, I, I can get you to five. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Can you? But, I mean, I'm thinking right now, it's all right, goal line, third down. Yeah, pass pro, slot receiver. Sure. Um, oh, you're yeah, talking about you, like, okay. Yeah, I mean, those are all, yeah. I think that's, that's the only way I can get to eight, right, is, is if you're doing that. You know, but the, the point being that he views as, uh, hey, if this guy can only do this, then you know what? We're going to use him to do that. And I think that's good coaching. And I mean, I'm hoping just that's look, what we see from the backs this year. Look what he just did in Kansas City. I mean, when right. they won the Super Bowl with him, right? He was uh, Damian Williams was the player in that game. You're in for like and that was a patchwork yards. group of, of running backs that he that, put together that, that year. That's my point is that like <laughs> one game to the next, it could be a different guy, right? right? And, and that's a big... I really think that the running back unit on that team in general, that Chiefs Super Bowl team, was a very underrated position because everybody wanted to talk about Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes, and for good reason. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. Right. But, I mean, the running game in that Super Bowl was huge. Damian right. Williams, I mean, Damian Williams was a conversation to maybe being the MVP in that Super Bowl. He was a right. very important player. And, I mean, there will be some weeks where you didn't even see Damian Williams because it's right. just like – Did he only rush like 400-some like yards that year? Like, I think like he had like 400-some yeah. yeah. yards the whole season. He goes out and rushes for a buck in the, you know – in the Super Bowl, right? Yep. It's like okay, I'm like having Timmy Smith flashbacks. You know what I mean? <laughs> Timmy Smith, um, good one. Yeah. But uh, I'm a Broncos fan. That's a very, very traumatic experience in my life. I'm sure. Uh, my sure. yeah, I, I learned a very valuable life lesson that day. I think I was like 11, and I talked mad trash during the week of the Super Bowl. And then Denver jumps out to a 10 nothing start. I'm a Broncos fan. My parents are Redskins fans. I am that ignorant little 11 year old talking serious trash to my dad. And then 35 second quarter points later, I'm ripping my jersey off, throwing it down in anger. Timmy Smith ran for like 200 that game. Crazy number. Heard that guy before or since? You know, but he went for like two bucks in that game. It was a sad, sad day for me. Uh, so back back to running back. Logan Diggs is a guy that's a very interesting player. You know, I love his game. I feel like last year was the worst thing that ever happened to Logan Diggs. And here's what I mean by that. He's a very like he's a big back. He's a 200 plus pound back and he can run you over, but he's very nimble and athletic. And we saw that last year. He's a guy that's what I mean by bad habit is he is a playmaker at running back. But he, two things happened last year that, that to me, I think, created some very bad habits for Audrey, for Logan. Number one, he watched Kyron Williams play. And Kyron was like all over the place. That was because of how bad the line was. I'm not ripping Kyron for that. It's It was, it was born out of necessity, okay? Um, then Logan sees that. And deals with the similar thing. And and as a younger player, you know, Kyron was a junior. He had kind of gone through the, the the rigors the year before. He understood the difference. I still felt you know, at times he would kind of bounce when he shouldn't have. But Kyron also understood as a veteran player, okay, it's third and one. I just need to put my foot in the ground and get one in an, in an inch, right, to get the, move the chains. 
Logan, I think, was always looking for the home run. He was a little bit like Josh Adams in that regard, but different style of athlete. Josh was not a very effective every down back because he was always looking for the home. He was a great home run hitter. Sure. As a junior, he wasn't as an effective as an every down back as he was as a freshman because he developed some bad habits. And Logan developed some bad habits out of necessity. There was a play in the, the Sugar Bowl, the, the Fiesta Bowl. I'll eventually get to the Major Bowl that they played in, uh, in the Fiesta Bowl where he gets the ball and he stops. And he's like looking for a hole. And it's like, dude, you're 215 pounds. Just take it's third and one. Just put your foot in the ground and hammer that thing forward. And, and I get why he didn't because the offensive line stunk. But that's a concern I have for Logan, and we saw a little bit in the spring game, is he's got to learn to know when to use your, your skills and and because they're impressive. I mean, you know how highly ranked I had Logan Diggs coming out. I said, this, this kid, is, this is a dude, right? He's got to learn to – he's got to be – he's got to become more of a savvy back this year, Ryan, where, look, it's not every play is going to be a home run. Not every play is going to get outside and leap over a guy. Sometimes it's get two yards. Sure. And I think if he can learn that, whenever he comes back, if Tyree and Estime are still healthy and Diggs comes back as a more disciplined runner, this is going to be a filthy backfield because mm-hmm. Logan Diggs can flat out play. Yeah. And and I think and he bring he is almost like a a, a, a combination of Audric and Kyron, right? I, I was to I me. was about to say even on the what the, what we see of the running back room right now, he might be the best all around skill sets, sure. right? I mean, because he's sure. got he's got some burst, he's got some power, and he's a really slippery kid, man. Like I I've seen breaks and tackles where I'm just like, whoa, like yeah. you know, it's just kind of shrugs guys off and you're just like okay he's got he's got a little something to him man like he kind of yeah. i think he really understands like he has good spatial awareness i think and i think to your point of the bad habits is i think that takes away from that right like you're right. just you're trying to manage chaos when chaos isn't yes. always there right like that's really what it is <laughs> right you, it's and, and honestly i was worried about that with kyron going like during the season last year mm-hmm. i was like oh man i hope that he doesn't you know, get out of his out into his own head and just kind of see things when they're not actually there and all that type of thing. And I'm actually, I thought it kind of helped Kyron kind of managing that chaos down the stretch of the season. Mm-hmm. But I, I hope that we have a similar kind of move forward with Logan because I think that every tool's there. I mean, yeah. like if you told me, and I know it's a different situation because we might not see him at the beginning of the year due to the injury and everything. But if everything was on equal footing and you told me that Logan Diggs was the top running back in your room, I would have doubted it, sure. right? Because he's talented enough for sure. sure. And if he comes back and if you now have the lightning of Chris Tyree, the thunder of Audrey Estime, and you also sneak in the slipperiness and the pass catching yeah. ability and the all-around At 215 pounds. Right. Then you have yeah. something special. If yeah. you, have, you have a special backfield. And I think that that backfield could rival – any backfield in college football if it all hits to that degree. Can I say something? Sure. I almost kind of hope this is going to sound terrible, so hear me out. Uh-oh. I almost kind of hope that Logan doesn't come back to like game five or six. Okay. Here's why I say that. Number one, I always get super nervous when it's a shoulder injury for a running back. You come back too soon because sometimes, and again, I don't know the specifics of his injury, but I've seen guys – and I'm not saying this from a medical standpoint. This is an observational comment. Some I've seen plenty of times where a guy hurts a shoulder, rushes back, and then the shoulder it just it's it just becomes a con- constant problem. It just constantly getting hurt. It's a weird joint. It's a weird situation. 
So I get a little nervous about that, right? So part of me, I want to come back later because I want him coming back fully healthy and strong, right? Like redo the rehab, build up all the muscles around whatever the injury was, get that sucker fully healed, and then take a couple weeks, right? Like that's how I feel about it. The second aspect of it is, could you imagine adding a fresh pair of legs with that talent like halfway through the season, Crazy. right? It's like it's like getting a trade deadline guy. You know what I mean? Like you make a, a trade at the deadline halfway through the year to get, you know, an all-star center fielder or something like that, right? Like it's it's like Dexter Williams when he came back, right? right. It was just like fresh legs out of right because he missed four right. games, right? He yeah. didn't come back yeah. till Stanford, and all of a sudden these Stanford dudes are like, "Who the freaking heck is this guy that just went forty-five <laughs> yards in his first touch of this of the season?" So. You're absolutely right. And Dex was fresh in November. That's exactly my point. Dex was fresh in November. When USC's players are in game 12, Dex isn't like in game eight. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And when you consider some of the blowouts Notre Dame had that year, with the fact that Dex was also still rotating in with guys like Tony Jones Jr., uh, Jafar Armstrong, guys like that, Dex was not getting that huge burden, so he stayed fresh. Mm-hmm. And it made for a really potent backfield. I mean, you know, just you look at some of the – I mean, Dex that year had – I mean, he carried minimum 13 times in every game he was back. He had over 100 yards in four of those games. But a, a big part of it was I would argue Dex is not a 20-plus carry guy normally. And, you know, he had three games with over 20 carries. And I think he was able to handle that and not wear down in November because he didn't play the first month of the season. You know, so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a similar situation. And I almost feel like that would time up really nicely for number one to get Logan fully healthy. Now, if he is fully healthy and all those things earlier, so be it. I'll leave that to the medical professionals. I just want to make sure he's not rushed back because they're afraid of the numbers. That's my big concern. But if he does come back healthy, man, it's going to give you some fresh legs at a time where you're going to need it. And that's what I think makes it interesting. And I, I think because of recruiting rankings, mm-hmm. I don't feel like people appreciate just how talented this group of backs is. Don't and uh, it, it's, it's boy, I tell you what. And and that's even without Jadarian Price. Mm-hmm. So it, this sophomore group can be really, really good. Yeah. We get to one more position. It. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, again, kind of thinking from a defensive coordinator perspective, like having – so many different style backs too coming at yeah. you. You're just like, oh man, yeah. here comes the changeup again. Yeah. Like I am just, uh, just so frustrating to see that type yep. of that type of skill set. Oh you know, yes. just that blending of styles. It's crazy. We are gonna have a mailbag after we wrap up this portion. We got one more position to talk about. But my friend, Mr. Adamiola stopped by. We appreciate you very much. Thank you so much for the super chat. He said, No question, just saying hello to my favorite Notre Dame podcasters with unbelievable football acumen in the game. Now it's out there. I absolutely love everything I be. We appreciate you. We appreciate you very much. We were talking about his son earlier today. I they came out with the uh the Outland trophy watch list and he was not on it. It just that blows my mind that the, 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 the lack of respect Jason is getting this year. It's it's insane. Uh, uh, but the good news is, is I, I have a feeling he's going to come into the year a little pissed off, uh, which is a good thing for Notre Dame. But thank you so much, Mr. Adamiola. We appreciate you. Got one more position to talk about before we get to the mailbag, and that's tight end. Mm-hmm. And obviously, sophomore tight end has been a it's been a interesting several months. First came Baron gets hurt last October as he was kind of emerging right? And, and ready to kind of crack the lineup. Then he gets hurt. Then Mitchell Evans gets a chance to kind of seize that number two tight end role. Then he gets hurt this summer. He's going to be out for a good chunk of the year. And then Kane Barong is now cleared and back. 
probably not 100% yet, but he's a guy to me, Ryan, that when I look at the sophomore class, he's the one guy that they don't need to step up. Sure. Because I think there's enough. He's number one. It's not a starting role, right? And assuming Michael Mayer's healthy, it's not a starting role. There are other tight ends that could do certain jobs. I will, his situation is different because to me, he, him stepping up doesn't fill a need per se. It's more so if he steps up and forces his way onto the field, he gives you a very, very unique skill set that is going to allow him to go out there and, and, and thrive in this offense because he brings, like, so he's about 6'3, 240 plus pounds, I've been told. And I was also told by a source that that the two times they've done kind of max out on the bench at 225, him and Michael Mayer have tied for the top number both times. He's a strong kid. And if you remember his film, like you see his size, 6'3", 225, you're thinking, ah, pass catcher. Then you pop on his high school film and he's a nine tech, he's blocking nine techniques and just driving him off the ball and burying him. He's a really good blocker, but he's also fast and athletic and he can catch the ball. So what does that remind you of? And I hate, you know, look, Tommy Reese had a lot of fun using that role in 2020 with Tommy Trumbull and people yeah. like who could be that Tommy Trumbull guy. And the closest thing Notre Dame has ever had to it, in my opinion, in the couple of years since is Kane Barong. If he can step up and fill some of that role where he can lead block as maybe a fullback type of thing, he can be a wing, but he's also a guy that I think can line up and handle himself on the edge. So, and then you bring a legit speed to the table. This is a kid that could provide this offense with a with a, a spark that no one's going to be anticipating. No one's going to be coming to season like, we better be ready to defend Kane Barong. Uh, if he breaks out, Ryan, he could be sort of that final really interesting piece to this to this puzzle as the number two or number three tight end. I mean, it, it, again, it, I feel like I said this about the wide receivers a lot, but it unlocks possibilities. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to talk about – the ability to flex Michael Mayer out and leaving this kid in line or as a detached wing or vice versa, or being able to use him to your, to your points as a Tommy Tremble style fullback or H back, however you want to kind of classify him there. He gives you so much variety and so much different personnel options, right? Like two, 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 a 12 personnel now looks a lot different than maybe what your traditional 12 personnel would look like because mm-hmm. he gives you, so much more upside in the pass game and he can handle himself in the run game. And I, I mean, I was texting with Brian this morning and I was just like, why do I feel like Kane Barron's been in the, in the, uh, been in the program for so long. It's so weird. He's only a Cause he's been like committed he's been for so long. Yeah. I mean, he's True. been technically affiliated with Notre Dame for like four years. I mean, he committed to Notre Dame when Chip Long was still at Notre Dame. Wow. So that's um, crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and Tommy's been the OC going, this will be his third year as the offensive coordinator. So, uh, you know, it, it He's it's he's been around for a while, but like you said, he's a redshirt freshman. So yep. he's an, an, an a true redshirt freshman, not a COVID redshirt freshman, you know, and a true redshirt freshman. So I think Kane's a, a player that I'm very curious to see and hear about what he does in fall camp. Yeah, because again, he's you're not necessarily going in with any expectation of him. Mm-hmm. Like you, there's a, every guy we've talked about so far. There's a level of expectation for him that you need him to do something this spring. I don't know if Kane has that same kind of pressure, right. but if he can be that guy and rise to that occasion, boy, he gives you something really interesting at tight end. 
It's it's because I mean Michael Mayer gives you so much production that I mean you don't really need a secondary option at tight end, right? Like you just need a guy that can mm-hmm. stay in line and block a little bit, maybe occasionally catch a ball and you know red zone type of threat. I mean, think of like like George Takis. George Takis was a good football player, but he wasn't mm-hmm. like a high volume pass receiver. He wasn't a guy that was used a ton as as just a receiving option in general in these two tight end packages. But Kane Barong, I think, could be. Right. Like mm-hmm. if he if he is a guy that you prioritize and he's give you a bit the ability to feel comfortable with him and to be, you know, excited about using him a ton, then he could be a guy that combined completely flips a script. Maybe Michael Mayer doesn't have as many catches as he normally would, but you also have more variety now and you still get to that production level either way. So I think Michael Mayer takes away the necessity of needing a Kane Barong as a pass receiver, but the luxury of having him could be a mm-hmm game changer as far as what you can do offensively got a super chat from randy hernandez he said thank you very very much for that randy he said sophomore class seems more important to the offensive side than the defense and i think randy that's a great way to wrap it up you know before we move on to the mailbag is that right there because as we said when we talk tomorrow about the defense it's going to be a lot of guys that you hope step up and if they don't it could be an issue but like i don't know if none of them are definite guaranteed that guy's going to start kind of players sure. with this class. If you don't have at least four sophomores in the starting lineup, there's, there's a problem. There's mm-hmm. just a problem. And, and even the the rotation guys there, there must, you have to step up because there just aren't a ton of other options. And so well, it's going to make for an interesting conversation, interesting conversation. So that's going to wrap that part of it. We're going to go to a mailbag here in a second, but before we do I want to remind y'all to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, check out irishbreakdown.com, sign up for the boards at boards at irishbreakdown.com. 